All right. I'm going to be reading our scripture for this morning. So it is going to be Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, Haven Church family. How's everyone doing today? Woo, how about that praise this morning? Let's go. Oh my gosh, that was so good. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 1, 40 through 45. We're continuing our series as the slide shows, Love Walked Among Us, Rediscovering the Heart of Jesus. And this series, we're just looking at these one-on-one encounters that Jesus Christ had with various individuals in the Gospels, the eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ. And A.W. Tozer has this beautiful quote. If you read anything by A.W. Tozer, you should read A.W. Tozer. He's got a lot of great quotes, and I've been sharing a lot of those in this series. And here's another one I'm going to throw your way to start our sermon off this morning. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's profound, right? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And my hope with this series is that our minds would be renewed by the truth of God's word and by the power of the spirit to see God's heart towards us rightly. And that love would transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And if we're honest, what comes into our minds when we think about God, if, if you're like me, who's historically struggled with shame and, and condemnation, what comes into our minds is anticipated rejection. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where God is distant, he's disinterested in our lives, he's He's borderline disgusted with us because we can't get our act together. We know God is good. God is holy. We're a mess, and we keep getting tripped up. And so there's this this separation and and the shame that's always nagging at our hearts that God hates you. God's disgusted with you. God wants nothing to do with you. And so what we do to solve that relational separation is we think the cure lies in our own hands, that we can just solve it through religious performance and we work our fingers to the bone trying to do good works, good works, good works to get an angry God off of our backs and no wonder we're miserable. And that's not what Jesus Christ came to offer. He came to offer us something far better. I have four kids uh, at home. Uh, Well, they're not home, they're right here. Anyways, but I have four kids uh, under the age of seven and our three-year-old, we're we're trying to get him potty trained and uh, what he's doing uh, now is um, if he has to go Number two, he hides in the house, like hide and seek. It's, it's, yeah, so he'll go behind the curtains and hide. And, and if like everyone's playing, then all of a sudden, like we call him buddy, buddy exit stage left. My wife and I look at each other with like a knowing look, like, all right, he's, you know, he's, he's going number two. Uh, or uh, another one is he, he's, he hides in our hallway closet. And this is like a two foot by two foot closet. Hides it, and then somehow he closes it behind him. He's shoulder to shoulder with the vacuum in there. And uh, I've installed a bathroom vent in the closet for him. Uh, <laughs> 
And what's interesting about my son is when he goes number two, he will never come and tell us. I think there's some shame there, right? Anticipated rejection. Like he won't, like we, we, we smell what happened. We know what's happening. And we have to convince him that he needs to come, right? Like, buddy, come on. Let me change your diaper. I don't want you in that mess. Come on. Come to the only person that can clean you up, your mother. She would love to change her diaper. <laughs> She's the only one in the house who can do that, right? And so the heart of a father is I don't want my boy to stay in his mess. I don't want his mess uh, to, to, to have him think in his mess some false thoughts about my heart towards him. That he has, to, he has to clean something up. He has no power to clean up. And that's where you and I come in is we can't clean up our sin. We can't clean up our mess. We need God, and God in his grace has provided the means to rescue us out of our sin and breathe on us new life. We can't muster it up inside of us. It comes from outside of us. It's the work of Jesus. And Paul Miller has an amazing book, A Praying Life. This, is a, this quote I'm about to share is, is in the context of teaching us about prayer. This book is on the, the book table if you want to buy it after the service. It's, a, it's the best book on prayer I've read, and I've read a lot. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. The only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. The real you has to meet the real God. The real you has to meet the real God. God can handle it. It's the whole reason Jesus came, was to really save really messy and broken people. That's what he did, and that's what he promises to do. And today in our text, we see what happens when someone who is the very dictionary definition of a messy person comes to Jesus. And we see that this person had no business getting close to anyone, let alone Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what we see in our text is that when this messy, diseased leper comes close to Jesus, he doesn't just get rejected, he gets received. And he doesn't just get received more than that. Jesus gives him restoration. And so today in our sermon, we're looking at the heart of Jesus Christ for the messy. And there's great news that God has an avalanche of compassion for people like me who are broken, are sinners, um, in desperate need of a savior to save us from our sin and a shepherd to walk alongside us in life. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into today to, for all of us, whether we're far from God or near to God or wherever we would paint ourselves on a scale of one to 10 in our relationship with God, Jesus is inviting us Come close to my heart, come close to my presence, because when messiness comes to the Messiah, healing and restoration comes. There's no other way healing and restoration comes. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, you alone hold the keys to restoration, to true life, to true joy, to true peace, to true salvation. You have, a, you have a monopoly on it. It can't be found anywhere else but you. And God, you, you, you from your throne, Christ, you look at the mess of this world, the brokenness, the, the sin, the hostility, the vision, the disease, the, the suffering. And you didn't, you didn't stay distant, but you descended into the midst of this. And you took that, Jesus, you took all of that to the cross on our behalf to freely offer to anyone who wants their sins forgiven, the new life that you came to, to offer. You went to the cross to, to freely purchase that salvation for us, that new life that can only be found in you. 
That's your heart, God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That God is a God of love and his love is shown to us in the sacrificial death of Christ to freely give us something we could never, ever do ourselves. So Jesus, would you, by your truth and by the spirit, would you come and restore brokenness? Would you save sinners? Would you draw us close to you as we draw close to you? And I pray for help by your spirit to say only the words that you would have me say. And I pray that all eyes would be on you and all eyes would be off of me. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, to understand what's happening in our text, we have to understand the plight of a leper in the first century. Notice I didn't say leopard, okay? It's a leper, okay? There's some confusion there with my kids when I shared this story with them. Um, (laughs) The term leprosy was used in uh, the first century to describe various contagious, incurable skin diseases at the time. And one of the diseases that that leprosy most talked about, that we most uh, know leprosy to be about when we read uh, about leprosy in the scriptures is, um, is called Hansen's disease, Hansen's disease. And what Hansen's disease is, it's a skin infection caused by slow-growing bacteria. And if it's left untreated, the nerve damage can result in the crippling of the hands and feet and paralysis and blindness. It just slowly wilts and withers away your body from the outside in. Uh, I, I googled, a bit, I made a mistake, and I went to the World Health Organization, and I googled Hansen's disease to look at some images and I almost lost my lunch this week. It was no joke. People's, people's fingers turning into to this, uh, uh, their entire bodies covered in boils and, and, and open sores. Um, if, if, you, if you've watched The Walking Dead or know what a zombie looks like, it's as close to a zombie as you could get. The first century Josephus said that a leper was essentially a living corpse, is what the first century historian Josephus said. This, this would slowly take over and wither your body and bring destruction. And for a person diagnosed with leprosy, it was essentially a, a death sentence in the first century. Immediately, they were banished from their community and forced to live in isolation. And as they traveled, um, if anyone approached, they had to yell their unclean identity to everyone around them, unclean, 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 and they were commanded to keep 50, this wasn't six, six feet social distancing, this was 50 feet that they had to stay isolated from anyone who was not in their condition. And so all that to say, this was the plight of a leper in the first century. And so if we put ourselves in the shoes of this man in the narrative, for just a second, we would imagine the depression this man has been wrestling with, the hopelessness, the despair, the weeping, the pain, the humiliation, the shame. We're not sure, but at one point in this man's life, we're not sure the, scripture, the scriptures don't say, but maybe he had a wife, maybe he had kids, maybe he had a family, maybe he had an occupation, maybe he had, maybe he had great dreams and, and, and visions for his, his life. Maybe he was a, a kids ministry volunteer in synagogue, right? Like, like maybe he was a key member in the community, but there came a day in his life where all of a sudden stuff started growing on his hands and, and it got to the point where he couldn't hide it anymore and he didn't want to spread it to his wife and his kids. So he had to go to the synagogue to go to the priest and say, listen, if I'm ceremonially unclean, I can't, I can't worship here anymore. What, what is this? And, and he heard that sentence spoken over his life and the priest had to say unclean. And that was a death sentence, a life sentence of separation from everyone he loved. 
and was left to slowly wither and die as this thing killed him in a horrific way. That was this man's plight. No painkillers, no antibiotics, just a death sentence to die a miserable death in isolation. And this man had, listen, no power to change his status from unclean to clean. He had no power within himself to change his status from unclean to clean. It's the same for sinners before a holy God. We do not have the means through good works to change our status from unclean to clean. Jesus Christ freely offers all of that to us who would simply come to him with our mess and say, Jesus, would you give me your forgiveness in exchange for my sin? And so somewhere on this journey, this man with leprosy learns of this man, Jesus And uh, this is what we see in the verse prior to our text in Mark 1, 39. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We'll talk more about that near the end. And so somewhere along the lines, this man, he catches wind of Jesus' healing ministry. Lame, walking, blind, seeing, the afflicted uh, being uh, set free from their demonic affliction. And all of a sudden, somehow, this man hears of that. Hope, hope is infused in his soul. And he's going, well, if Jesus is healing those guys, why can't he heal me? Heal me? And so what he does is he kind of sealed Team 6, stalks Jesus, like in the woods, you know. Maybe he's got a ghillie suit on so nobody sees him. And, and then all of a sudden, he sets an ambush, right? All of a sudden, because he can't get close to Jesus. If anyone spots him getting close to Jesus, everyone's going to run for the hills. So ambush is set up, and what do we see is that in the text is this, this probably zombie of a man covered in nasty rags. Maybe you could smell him before you see him. Comes, comes limping up, you know, hands all bound, nerve damage, boils everywhere, and kneels at Jesus' feet and yells out, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Not healed. He didn't say heal. He's talking about being healed, but he's saying, I want you to reverse my cry of unclean to unclean to clean, clean. Jesus Christ has given me my life back. He set me free. He's brought cleansing. He's done for me what I could never do for myself. Now listen, if I'm Peter at this moment and I'm walking with Jesus and maybe there's a small crowd gathering following Jesus and this man comes up, everybody's panicking, right? And, and how do we know that to be true? Because we all live through 2020, okay? Right? <laughs> When everything reopened, when everything reopened with 2020 and you had to go to the grocery store in person this time and all of a sudden you, you cough in the grocery store, yeah, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Everyone looks at you and you're like, it wasn't me, it was that guy, you know, like, I don't, he's the leper, you know, banish him, right? What is that? Everyone's saying, if I get what you got, I get your status, I have to be quarantined for two weeks, stop the curve, you know, whatever, I don't want that. So you go, get out of, the, get out of Aldi, like no one wants to hang out with you, right? We know that's, what, that, that's, that's 2020, we lived through that. So imagine that on a scale, uh, you know, times a trillion, where all of a sudden this guy comes limping up, and I, man, everyone ran for the hills. Like, if I'm there, if I'm there, I'm outrunning everybody, right? I, you know, everyone runs for the hills, except for one person who doesn't run in fear and doesn't run in disgust, and it's Jesus. He stays. He stays put. And if we had like a a drone footage of the scene, an aerial view, you see all these people running, right? As this this monster of a man comes limping up and Jesus is just sitting there waiting and doesn't move as this man throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And then the question remains, well, what is Jesus going to do? This guy put everyone at risk. He put everyone at risk by approaching everyone. Nobody wants to be 
banished forever? Everyone wants to be a leper? This stuff's contagious? This guy, so at the very least, Jesus might give a, you know, a mild rebuke to this guy, but, or a better question, instead of how would Jesus respond, how would you respond in this moment? How would I respond, right? I would respond and say, you can't outrun me. I can't run that far, but I can probably run faster than you can in about, you know, whatever, the 10 yards, right? Like, I'm, I'm 50 paces away than you are. Fear, disgust, and probably, probably people are, are, are throwing expletives this guy's way too. Like, what are, you, what are you thinking? You don't do this as a leper. You keep your distance. Nobody wants to get close to you. You're disgusting. Nobody wants what you want, what you got. And so how is Jesus going to respond? And what we see is instead of Jesus responding in fear and anger at this guy's mess, and putting the disciples at Jesus, putting the disciples at risk and Jesus at risk. Jesus in verse 41, it says this. If you look at verse 41, he was moved with pity. He was moved with pity. Jesus looks at the plate of this man and it moved Jesus to compassion, not to revulsion. And this is one of the first principles we pull out of our text today is point number one is our mess moves Jesus to compassion, not revulsion. Do you guys catch that? And this is what we learn about the heart of God, is that human suffering moves the heart of God. God is not a deistic, disinterested uh, God. He is a God who is moved by the plight of human suffering. The most mentioned emotion of Jesus in the Gospels is compassion. Is compassion. What's compassion? Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. This is the heart of God. I love how 1 John 7 through 11 describes the character and the being of God. Verses will be on the screen. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. Why, should, why is love the preeminent ethic? Why should anyone love another human being on the planet? Why? Because it's anchored transcendently in an eternal God who is love. That's where our ethic comes from. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because why? Because God is love. And, and, and what does love look like? Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, was made known among us, was seen among us, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Why? So that messy sinners might live find their life, find their being, find their joy, find their salvation through him. In this is love. Watch this. Not that we have loved God, but that in our mess, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved. That's the identity that God speaks over his people. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In five verses, in five verses, 12 times the Apostle John mentions love. God is compassion. God is love. To who? To the likes of us. To the likes of us. And what we know about love is that love always manifests in proximity. If you love someone, you draw close to them. If you love someone, you don't keep your distance. If you truly love someone, you, get at, you do whatever it takes to win them to your heart. You do whatever it takes to come close to them and to rescue them. And that's what God has shown us, the depths of his love in Christ Jesus, the heights, the lengths, and the depths that Jesus Christ was willing to go 
out of love for us to bring us home to his heart and to his presence. So the second thing we see is that it's not just that our mess moves Jesus with compassion, but our mess, second point, our mess moves Jesus closer to us, not farther away. Love always manifests in proximity, in closeness. And so Jesus came running for us when we weren't even running after him in our sin. And so what we see Jesus do next in our text is shocking. It's absolutely mind-blowing. In verse 41, it says, after the man cries out, if you will, you can make me clean, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and touched him. Now, quick question for you, a quick disclaimer. What's the one thing in first century Palestine that you never do, right? What's the one thing that all the moms told their boys and their daughters when they were little kids? Like, hey, if you don't remember anything I tell you, here's the one thing you are never to do. If you see a leper, do not touch them, okay? Do not touch them. And so I imagine in this moment, it's almost like slow motion. And everyone's jaws are on the floor as they're like, you know, looking from a distance. And Jesus just places his hand on this man's shoulder, risking himself getting leprosy, Jesus just even, even if Jesus doesn't get leprosy, but comes in contact with a leper, now he's ceremonially unclean, banished from the synagogue. He's got, he's got that stamp, you know, you're unclean. Jesus puts his own health on the line to touch this man, to touch this monster of a man. Why? Why did he do this? Because here's what we know is that there's other encounters where Jesus just speaks someone's healing. He doesn't touch anyone, Right? Jesus could have healed this guy from 50 feet. Say, hey, you stay over there. Boom, done. New life, bam. Go to the priest, right? Go to, go to the CDC at the time. Get your certificate. Go through all the regulations so that when you come back into community, everybody, including the leadership, knows that, that you are healed. You're no longer unclean. You're clean. And don't tell anyone about it. Why? Because Jesus was overrun by the crowds who knew this leper, right? As he goes and shares that story, everyone else who wants healing comes and finds Jesus. So then Jesus is on the outskirts of the town. This is how revival spreads. And, you know, we have a, a inner healing and deliverance ministry here. And um, it's not something I never set out to do, but it's all what God has been doing. And what we've seen is what Jesus is doing in the gospels is setting those who are in demonic captivity free. And we don't talk about it uh, that much. And we don't announce it on our website. We don't market it at all. And we had over a hundred people fly in front of state over Zoom. hundred people come for prayer. And we saw Jesus set the captive free. How does that happen? Well, if one person who everybody knows is in a mess and in a bind, and then they have an encounter with Jesus. They go tell everyone and their mother, literally like mothers from sons, coming <laughs> and coming for prayer. It spreads like wildfire. All it takes is five people who get powerfully touched by Jesus to go tell 10 other people, then those 10, 10 people come, and then boom, it happens. That's what happened with Jesus in his ministry is he was overrun. He was now, he couldn't even enter into towns because before he even got town, word would spread and they would come to him. That's why the description there, that might confuse you at the end of, of him telling him not to, to tell of this. Uh, that's why that, that is there. And so it begs the question, why did Jesus touch this man when he could have healed him from a distance? What Jesus is doing is he's giving back this man his dignity, his humanity, his worth, his value. His value. He's putting God's heart, Jesus is putting God's heart for messy humanity on display. That God took on flesh, dwelt among us, and put his arm around lepers to heal them and to restore them. And he's declaring over that man with that touch that he is no longer a filthy leper, but he is an image bearer of God, precious in God's 
sight. And if anyone had a distorted view of God, if anyone lived in a constant state of anticipated rejection from others and from God, it was this leper. And, in, in, and before Jesus even spoke a word, that touch healed that man's inner brokenness before Jesus healed his outer brokenness. Because what physical touch communicates is belonging and acceptance. What physical touch communicates is belonging and acceptance, right? Because there's different spheres of, uh, of uh, social contact, if you will, with people that you know in your life. Like if you have family members, man, you, you bear hug. You know, if you have really good friends, not only bear hug, but then it's side punches in the kidney when you're really excited to see them, right? But then there's people that you don't know that are strangers that it would be really weird to come up and just give a bear hug and start punching in the side. Like you get arrested for doing that, right? There's some people in your life where you're like, hey, we're, we're handshake status, all right? Like it is handshake status, okay? Or just like, or like, you know, when, when I drive by you, like the finger wave status. Like that, that's all you get from me, right? Different layers of whatever. And so what, what touch communicates is belonging, is, is acceptance. And, and Jesus embraces this leper, saying everyone else has, has banished you. Everyone else has, has cursed you. Everyone else uh, wants to run from you. I'm here, and I want you with me. I, I want to communicate to you that you are precious and valuable in God's sight. And there was no one more messy in the first century than, than, than this man coming to Jesus. And instead of being rejected, he's embraced. And not only was he healed, he was also, he was also hugged. And, and my question to us today is this, is this your view of God and his posture towards you? Like, like sphere of social contact with God. Does God relegate you to the, you know, the, the, the steering wheel wave? Or is God's heart towards us bear hug and side punches and smiling and celebrating? What's God's heart towards us? Right? What do you believe about, about, about God's love for you? If God is love, perfect love and compassion, what are you believing then about his love towards you? There's a famous story that Jesus Christ shared about the Father, God the Father's love for, for sinners. It's called the story of the prodigal son. And this is a story that Jesus shared of a, of a, of a, of a messy son a sinful, pretty much evil son who told his father pretty much, I hate you, I want all of your money, give me uh, uh, your inheritance early, all of your hard-earned money. Uh, and, and when you did that in that culture, you're basically declaring your father was dead and that your, your relationship with him was over because you just wanted his stuff when he died. And so you're saying, I wish you could die sooner so I could get your stuff. So in the story, the prodigal son takes all of his father's hard-earned money and what does he do with it? Does he give it away to charity? Does he start a nonprofit? You know, does he donate it to IJM, International? No, no, no. He spends it on booze and other things I can't mention. Like he just lives a reckless life and he ends up uh, kind of in a, a pigsty, eating with, with pigs, broke, no money. And then, and then this is where the narrative picks up. And, and, and in the story, this prodigal son is wrestling with, well, one, do I go back to the Father? And two, if I do go back to the Father, what will the Father's attitude towards this messy sinner be, right? What will, and, and Jesus is sharing this. Jesus is sharing this to show us God's heart for sinners. Luke 15, starting verse 15. So he, the prodigal son, went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pig, you know, you're, you know you are in a bind if you are longing to eat what pigs are eating, okay? And no one gave him anything. And so it says in verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, but I will say, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Treat me as one of your hired servants. My father is ticked at me. He is angry at me. He's anticipating rejection when he comes home. And his prodigal son arose and, and came to his father. But while, watch this, watch the father's heart. But while this sinner was a, still a, a long way off, watch this, his father saw him. And what welled up when his father saw him in his mask? Compassion. Not disgust, not revulsion. And what did the father do? He ran towards the mess. He ran towards the sinner. And he didn't just come close. What did he do? He embraced him. He about tackled this guy in the middle of the field as he sees this guy, tackles him, and then more than that, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father spoke a new identity over him. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on that hand and shoes on those feet that have wandered from me and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Do you believe this? Do you believe this about God's heart? That when sinners return to the Father, it doesn't invoke anger and, and, and wrath. It is, it is Jesus elated, throwing a party, popping champagne. And to the extent that it would actually grieve the heart of God if we in our mess kept our distance from him. It would, it would, it would bring sorrow, like the opposite. Like, let's contrast the prodigal son. What was grieving God the Father's heart for sinners that have, 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 have left his household, has left a relationship with him? Grief, sorrow, right? And what brought the Father joy of return, just as they were? And notice the Father didn't say, okay, yeah, you want to come back? Clean yourself up. Get a new robe, get new shoes. Bring me, bring me, a, bring me a sacrifice. Bring me a sacrifice to appease me. No, 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 the Father provided everything when the Son returned. He provided all of it. The messy sinner just came and got a new wardrobe, got a new identity, got a new feast, got a new status spoken over him. And that's what we see in our text. And that's what Jesus did for the leper. And that's what he does for us. And lastly, we see uh, our third point is this, is our mess moves Jesus to restore and to cure. Our mess moves Jesus to restore and to cure. What we know to be true is that this leper had no power to heal his own condition. The only thing he could do was throw himself at the feet of the one who could. And this is exactly what Jesus did. The refrain of Jesus in our text is, I will be clean. Be clean. And what we see is instantly, instantly, leprosy left this man's body Blistering, pussy skin, and knobbing fingers were restored to fullness of help. And in an instant, Jesus Christ gave full restoration and healing to this man. In an instant, Jesus Christ gave this man his life back. And what we learn about Jesus Christ is that Jesus not only has compassion to draw near and embrace the messy, but Jesus Christ alone has the power to completely transform and restore us. 
There is no other restoration for ruined sinners than in Christ Jesus. And the insanity of our text is simply at the touch and the word of Jesus, an incurable disease was healed. Vanished, right? That Jesus Christ came in, in Matthew 9 and says, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he had compassion on the cross where they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what we see is Jesus came saying, declaring that I am king of, of the universe. And Jesus Christ came to inaugurate his kingdom in this broken world. And deep down, each and every one of us knows that this world is broken and not the way it should be. Death is foreign to us. Why death? Why disease? Why division? Why war? Why sorrow? Why tears? Why anguish? Something is wrong. Is this thing ever being made right? And so when Jesus comes and and ushers in, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he begins to heal the sick. And he begins to forgive the sinner. And he begins to, to set free the captive and raise the dead. What's he doing? He's restoring creation back to God's original design. The healing miracles of Jesus aren't something weird uh, and something that shouldn't be pursued anymore. It's, it's lock and step with King Jesus reigning and ruling and bringing in his kingdom to the sin-cursed world. This is what, I, I've shared this quote a lot, um, but it's so good. And it's, 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 I'll probably get a tattoo of this on my bicep one day. It's so good. Georgian Moltman says this, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God to which the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. That's the power of our king. It's all real. He's doing it. That's the hope. That if and when in this broken body, I've had four surgeries, some of you have had more, we were suffering, we believe that Jesus still heals, we're praying for that, and even if he doesn't, we know that there's coming a day where this king is making all things right, that my, my glorified body is coming. Jesus is restoring all things back to God's original design. He's taking it back from the devil. He's forgiving our sin. There's coming a time with no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, and this king, this Messiah, has the power to simply speak and leprosy flees. That's the power of our king. That's the power of our king. There's no one like him. And so then the million dollar question is, well, how do we receive the king's transformation? How do we receive his transformation? And what we learn in our text is that the leper here, the leper in our text, wasn't the only one who was contagious in our, in our text today. He wasn't the only one contagious. When Jesus reaches out and touches him, the man's contagious leprosy doesn't hit Jesus. Jesus' contagious holiness hits the man. And he catches it. And he's righteous. He's clean. He's healed. He's restored. You want transformation? You want restoration? It's not found in religion. It's not found in good works. It ain't even found coming to church. It's found in a person. And his name is Jesus. And all he wants is you to come with your mess, come with your sin, reach out your hand, ask for help, and Jesus says, I'll take it from here. And he does. And he brings transformation. He brings salvation. He brings more joy and meaning and purpose than you can handle. That's the heart of Jesus. That's how we get that transformation. And often in our lives, the way we live our lives is 
We bring currency to God that he doesn't accept. And so these are called, I think I'm going to say this right, reyases. Anyone speak Portuguese here? My Brazilians, where are you at? Yeah, you, I'm going to give these to the Amarims afterwards because you guys travel to Brazil. I was in Brazil a couple years ago. I found these in my desk this week, and I was like, sweet. I'm going to actually, yeah, anyways. So these, this is uh, Brazilian currency, okay? 60 bucks. Reyases, okay? I'm not giving it away, okay? So don't, done that trick before. I'm not doing it this week. All right. If I went to Starbucks... And I was like, hey, I want a venti caramel, I don't drink those, but I want a caramel venti frappuccino. And I slapped these on the table. I was like, give me the best that you got, the reyases. They would look at that and they'd be like, we, we, don't, we don't accept that here. We only accept Bitcoin. Do you have Bitcoin? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> people are like, what's this paper you're talking about? Everything's, anyways. They're like, we don't, we don't accept that. And how often do we come to God with our good works and we're messy right? And unless we come to God and we say, look, God, I paid my 60 reyases. Come on. Give me an attaboy. You owe me now. You owe me a blessed life. Come on. And, and, and Jesus says, that's not how this transaction works. That's not how this relationship works at all. What you bring to the Savior of the world is the only currency I take is your sin. You want transformation? You got to bring me your mess. Don't bring me, don't, 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 try, to, don't try to flex. I can see you better than you can, than you can. Come to me. The real you has to meet the real God. Jesus says, I take brokenness. I take anxiety. I take stress. I take weariness. I take fears. I take mess. I take, I, take, I, I take that. Give that to me so that in return I can give you love. I can give you peace. I can give you joy. I can give you the reassurance of forgiveness. That's what Jesus wants. That's how we approach him. I'm not saying there isn't a call to walk in uh, holiness and, and, and repentance and, and striving for purity, but we better, we better understand the gospel, that at the end of the day, the only currency that the Messiah accepts because it brings him glory, we don't want to add anything to the work of the cross, is his finished work. As sinners coming and saying, this is how that great exchange of the gospel takes place, is I bring my broken, messy self to the Savior, and I cry out, Jesus, if you will, make me clean. I have nothing to offer you but this mess of a life I'm in right now. And Jesus says, now that is someone and something I can work with. And I'll conclude with this as we prepare our hearts for communion. If you have not read um, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, it's also on the book table. It is a phenomenal book. I would highly encourage you over the course of this sermon series to get that book and read it. And I'm going to share a, a long quote from it. But what I want before we take communion, what I want is what I believe God wants. And what would grieve God's heart today is if we kept our distance this morning. That would grieve his heart. Because, oh, well, he doesn't, you don't know where I've been. Well, he knows where you've been. He knows what's up. And the invitation is, come. Let me clean you up. Don't, don't keep distant with your mess. Bring that to the heart of your Savior. And this is a quote by Dane Ortland. It's long, but, but it's, worth, it's worth sharing to, to close with. And then we'll take communion and pray. And band, you can come on up. A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. 
joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the disease are not strangers but his own family? So with us and so with Jesus Christ. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. Jesus went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. To put it the other way around, when we hold back lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. Let's pray. I feel like the heart of God is so looking forward to this meal that we're about to partake with him. Just so excited to hear your prayers. He's so excited to be entered into your, to, 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 to your brokenness, to your anxiety, to your concerns, to, to all this stuff that happened this week that you regret. That's his heart. He wants to hear from you. There's nowhere else we can go to bring our sin. There's nowhere else we can go to bring our fear, to bring our mess. There's nowhere else we can go. And so, Heavenly Father, we, we, we come grateful, God. We, we come grateful to your table, communion, <laughs> that you've provided everything, God. What a beautiful picture of the prodigal son and, and communion. The, the father provided the feast. The father provided the, the, the sacrifice. The father provided the wine. The father provided the clothes. The father provided the means to cleansing. All that prodigal son had to do was turn and return to his father's heart and to his father's house. And that's what you, you did, Jesus. When you broke your body and you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins as you provided everything. Every other God demands that we ascend uh, to them and you, Jesus, descended to us and provided a table for us, not demand that we provide a table for you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, you would minister to us, you'd minister your healing to us, your restoring power, that as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. Lord Jesus, and that we would experience your joy. Maybe for the first time in a long time, we would sense and experience that you are a God of compassion and you are a God of joy who rejoices when we come just as we are to him because it's the whole reason you came was to bring us close, to bring us close through the cross, through the resurrection, to the right hand where we are seated with you, where you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're seated with you, your word says. So we love you. We give you all honor and praise. And I pray in this sacred moment of fellowship with you, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.